Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, the following program is produced with a vengeance from the hills of Encino by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. True Crime Uncensored, I am the legendary Burl Bear, the man of the lawyer chair blowing on his microphone. <laughs> it's Don Waldman. <laughs> also thinking about that wonderful motto you see in so many police department patrol cars, to protect and serve, and the question is, who, who, who? That's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out who's getting served and who's getting protected right. with a little blue wall. Yeah, this Welcome is, uh, to Miami. This is ugly. Hey, Michael Barish. Yes, hello. How you doing, Burl? Better and better. A hey, twenty what? Twenty-two years doing Miami cop work. Yeah, I was uh, twenty-two years on the force, uh, and I worked everything from patrolman, detective, to supervisor. And uh, thirteen of those years, I spent undercover in the real Miami Vice. Oh, yeah. I everything from narcotics, vice, prostitution, gambling, pornography. Sounds yeah, like fun. Well, it was for me. I mean, you got to have the right temperament to do that. But uh, What the heck is the temperament that you have for working in the probably the worst ghetto in the United States of America? Well, the thing is, it, it, it depends on whether the job is right for you. It's like a, like a salesman. Now, personally, I could Like a be. salesman? That's a bad description <laughs> for a policeman. <laughs> well, I mean, you, like a salesman, you, you've got to have the thing that you can sell this or you can say that. Now, that would worry me, being a salesman, not knowing where my next uh, dime was going to come from or if I don't sell 10 cars today or this and this and that. You know, so you've got to have the right temperament to be a salesman, just like you got to be the right temperament to be a vice cop. You can't be afraid of, well, he, he found out. He knows I'm, I'm burnt. You, you know, you can't get let your nerves get ahead of you. You know what I mean? Now, speaking of nerves getting ahead of you, I'm holding in my hand, ladies and gentlemen, evidence, <laughs> Reflections from the Pit. He's holding it. An award-winning book by Michael Barish, which has incredible stories. Okay, Don, I want you to picture this. You got these guys sitting in the cop car, minding their own business, you know, stroking their firearms, dreaming of donuts, whatever. Mm. All of a sudden, out of the clear blue of the western sky, a naked man falls on the hood of their car and crashes through the windshield. That's different. <laughs> It's well, every, every, <laughs> every one of my stories, I start off with a little quote from somebody, and it, it's kind of like explains what the what the what the story is about. And the, and the quote on that one is from Oscar Wilde, where it says, "The truth is rarely pure and never simple." <laughs> yes, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically, that's true. These two cops are part. Uh, it was all of these stories are from the pit. Uh, oh, by the way, let me explain the pit. Yeah, you got to describe what you're talking about. Yeah, the pit is the downtown ghetto area in uh, in uh, Miami. Uh, like every city has different areas. Like New York has Little Italy, China Town, or what have you. Well, uh, well, Miami has places too: Coconut Grove, this and that. And Overtown is technically the name for the area. Uh, that's the downtown, the ghetto. Uh, but uh, the cops that rode in it called it the pit. That's why the name of the book's Reflections from the Pit. Well, anyway, they're sitting there at this uh, stop. Uh, a, a light, and they're drinking coffee, minding their own business, and uh, out of the window comes this guy, naked, and he's flying through the air, he crashes on the hood of their car, bounces up, leaves a big dent in the car, and crashes in through the windshield, so he's actually sitting in the, uh, you know, the... <laughs> in the cab of the car. Yeah, in the front of the car on the dash. Uh, Hello there. <laughs> and the one cop, just, uh, uh, one cop just casually turns to the other cop and he says to him, "Boy, I bet you that must have hurt." <laughs> because uh, you know, it, you get a kind of a dark sense of humor if you've been around uh, this quite often. And the first thing, this is true. The first, they get out of the car because now they got to kind of like pull this guy out of of the glass and everything, and you got glass tinkling off his butt and everything, you know, and out he comes. The first thing he says to the cops is, please don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the thing. How does this guy figure he can get home? I mean, this guy broke his back, his legs, and everything like that. 
how does he think he, he's going to drive home with a broken back and just walk in the house like nothing's happened and explain <laughs> this to his wife? And I'm like, oh, how, what's the matter with you? What happened? <laughs> oh, geez, they fell down. My back hurts a little bit. <laughs> what's he going to say? Especially when he's head first to a cop car. There has to be paperwork. What, did he fall out a window or something? He dove out of a window. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes it better. Let's hear why. What's first? Tell us the story he told you, told the cops. <laughs> well, what actually, what actually happened was the guy was on his way home, and uh, where he pulled off was right off I-95. He was a businessman and everything like that. He wasn't just, you know, some guy who you know, had a nice family in the suburbs and all that. And uh, he pulled off on, uh, right alongside of I-95, uh, sections of it is where the pit is. So he went to this uh, notorious hotel that had hookers in there. So uh, he went up to purchase the services of a hooker, and he was in the room. The cops, the cops, when they got in the room, they noticed that the guy, uh, his clothes were all neatly folded over the back of a chair. You know? I mean, because very tidy fellow, yeah. And folds their clothes, right? So when he opened the door to the closet. There was another black guy in there, the pimp, and he had a knife. And they were going to rob him and hold him up. So the guy panicked, and he just literally doled out of the window, take it, figuring, hey, it's better to take my luck going out the window than to get my first laugh. How many stories up was he? Oh, uh, two or three. Oh, okay. <laughs> that That's still a distance. <laughs> oh, he didn't kill himself, but he sure mangled himself up good. Well, did he, did he have some sort of... BS explanation for this at first? Well, I mean, it's quite obvious what happened, and uh, uh, he didn't really, he really didn't try and explain it as much as he was trying to hide it all from the wife, you know. He was more concerned about what she was going to find out than, you know, uh, than what actually happened to him. Well, I mean, it's hard to justify what you're doing in a place like that. I mean, we all know, and he knew we knew, you know. Well, I mean, he must have had a hard time explaining to the little woman what he was doing naked, jumping out of the third-floor window of a horror hotel. <laughs> Seemed like a good well, idea. I, I'm sure he made up something else, got hit by a bus. Anything's better than that. <laughs> well, I just love that story. There's certainly there's colorful characters in the ghetto, and that's what makes it such a fun place. Fun place is 90% minorities. This is a real ghetto. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's heavy duty down there. That's why the cops call it a pit, because they, they, they likened it to, like, ancient Rome, where the gladiators got down in the pit and fought to the death, you know? That's how it got named the pit. Yeah, they do it every day. The, the number of crazy characters one must encounter in that environment must be limitless. Oh, Oh yeah. yeah, I mean every that's that's the reason why I like now that's when I was working in patrol. Uh but whether you're working in patrol or you're working undercover, every single night is like, Oh man, what's it gonna be like now? Oh boy. You, you know? Uh you just you just never know from because no two nights are ever the same. I guess How do you get so lucky to be assigned to the pit? Yeah, was it a reward for something? No, I requested almost my entire career was uh, uh, was in the ghetto. I, Why? So I, I liked it in there, and uh, a lot of guys didn't want to uh, like it. Now Miami has nice sections, like they have Coconut Grove, which is a very elite upscale section. As a matter of fact, when I was there, Madonna owned a home in there, and uh, Sylvester Stallone owned a home there, and stuff like that. But you ride around there, there's no crimes. You know, a lot of cops like to ride, ride down there because there's all nice women in clubs and they get, you know, and try and hit on the women and stuff, you know. But I just enjoyed, uh, of course, undercover, you're going to work in the ghettos. You're not going to be working down in Coconut Grove undercover. I mean, what's going on down there, you know? But uh, I just enjoyed it. I had, I had fun. Uh, sometimes it's sad. They have real tragic things that you're you know, that you just won't believe either that, that human beings can treat another human being in this thing. You, you think you might know from watching TV, but you, you really don't. Like, I like to refer to my book, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of Police Work, Warts and All. I don't. Well, there's some pretty big warts in this book, I'll tell you. 
And I talk about corruption. I call it like it is. I don't just try and sugarcoat the cops are all nice and sweet. Well, speaking of corruption, tell the story of the Teflon brothers, whatever they were called. The, the cops. Oh, yeah. Slipping, these, you know? <laughs> this is unbelievable. Um, uh, these two guys uh, had a reputation, you know, as uh, headbangers. They... Uh, they uh, they just almost delight in it, you know. There's certain cops like that. They're almost sadistic, and uh, uh, like uh, after work, cops go to cop bars usually, sit and have drinks, you know, just like it shows on TV. And these guys are always talking about. Uh, they didn't call it beating someone up. They called them. Well, he needed a tune-up. He needed a lesson, right? No, a tune-up. Like he tune oh, the a tune-up. Tune-up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tune, like, Tune up, like you tune a car up. Right. What, what that meant is that you know they beat the crap out of them. You know they tuned them up. So uh, uh, they would relish in that and tell stories about this guy and this guy and that guy and all that. Well, I was working undercover uh, at that time in narcotics, and there was another narcotics guy. He wasn't my partner, but you know there's several narcotics groups. You know, and uh, they had the desks next to me. These two black guys. Well, he was out. Uh, working undercover, he, he was just setting something up. Uh, he wasn't really uh, doing a deal. He was just setting up, so he's by himself. And he was in a phone booth. Uh, and these two guys come around, and they just figured they would, uh, uh, oh, check him out, because they always figured that, hey, you know, maybe the guy's holding or something like that, right? So <laughs> he's in the phone booth talking. And he doesn't give it a chance to explain much because, first of all, he's undercover and he can't be talking. Well, wasn't, you know. wasn't there like a drug deal coming down in a, a couple yeah, of Yeah, he's trying to set it up. He's trying to set it up and everything like that. Well, one thing led to another, this and that, and uh, they end up, uh, they find a, his, the gun on him. So they think, well, he's, he's an undercover cop, he's got a gun, but they, they don't... Uh, Associate that with him being a cop, but is a, a bad guy with a, 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 a gun. So they they put him in the hospital. They beat him up. Well, it turns out he's an undercover cop and everything <laughs> like that. Uh, and, they beat him up and they put him in the hospital. Uh, well, needless to say. Uh, <laughs> well, and the, the the version in the book has the, these two cops who just revel in beating the crap out of people. He's he's talking so polite to him. Let me explain. My ID is over in the over in the car over there, and they're they're not giving him a chance to do anything. being true. Oh no 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 no! They whack him in the head. They whack him here. They whack him there. Have him trapped in that phone booth, like you mentioned. Just beat the crap out of him with their nightsticks and their, what do you call it, their um, flashlights. Yeah, well, the thing <laughs> is, they, they put him in the hospital. They did. Yeah, that's what they call due process. Yeah, they they pat him down looking for drugs and weapons, and they find a wire. <laughs> oh. oh. Man, they must. Uh, it says in the book that one of them just puked his guts out when he realized what he did. Well, that, that, there's your whole career going. You see, your whole, whole career, your pension, everything's going. There's no way out of something like that. I mean, and they both got fired, uh, uh, you know, uh, and moved along. They're both dead now. They both died later in life, uh, earlier ages too. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I think the, they were. They didn't even get to their fifties. Probably divine comeuppance. God knows how many people they beat the crap out of. How long can a police officer last in the pit? I mean, it would seem to me be burned out in a week. Well, there again, it depends on you and your personality. Uh, like I said, I spent almost my whole career in it. I, I spent uh, uh, 13 years undercover, so that was all in the pit, basically, or, or Liberty City, which is the uptown uh uh, uh, black ghetto, and um, as a patrolman, I rode midnights there. I rode days there. I rode every shift in there. Uh, there was a few years I did ride Coconut Grove, and I rode Little Havana, uh, which is the Spanish area and stuff like that. So I rode every sector in Miami, but the majority of the time was in there. It, it just depends on you and your personality. And some guys, some guys don't like working the streets. What they try and do is advance through the grades and get up. Uh, uh, to a certain rank where they can be in the office and smooth with different guy, advance their careers. Because the police department's like anything else, where uh, 
it's who you know sometimes, and this one helps you there, and you get yourself a nice job over there and in the corner pushing paper around. And uh, oh yeah, I've known I've known some couple. I knew one homicide detective that went back to patrol, and all he said he was doing was watching the clock, yeah. just driving around, waiting for the years to roll by. What was your most frightening experience in the pit? Uh, well, I don't know that I could pick out one. Well, that makes uh, it worse. So <laughs> <laughs> it's <know>, nightly? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you a funny story. Uh, uh, this, I, this is in the book that's uh, it's called, the, the title of the story is The Real Miami Vice. That's the, that's the name of, uh, that's the name of the story. And uh, let me see, what the, what, what's the quote I have here? Uh, uh, just a curiosity. Uh, you know how on television um, everything is is nice and neat. You know they they chase the bad guy or they don't have a lead or or uh, something's happening and at every turn you know they're stymied. But within an hour they wind it all up. Oh yeah, of course. It's called fairy tales. Works out nice, you know, and uh, everything's great. Uh, okay. Well, the quote to this I got is the real Miami Vice, and I don't know who said it. I got to listen to this anonymous, but it's a uh, keep it simple. Simple's hard, and that's true. And, uh, 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 now, when you're undercover, uh, you have to have a, a bus signal. Uh, like this particular case, I was buying heroin from these two black guys uh, in the pit. And uh, the guy that goes undercover sets up the deal with his backups. In other words, he tells the backups where to be, this and that, and all that, because it's his deal. So he runs it, even over his sergeant, whoever it is, because he's there. He knows these guys. He's done the thing. So like a sergeant doesn't tell everybody, but the guy that's really working the case tells everybody. Now, you have to have what's called a bus signal uh, because you're wired. So these guys don't know when to come in. You don't want them to come in early because to make the deal complete, money has to change hands and dope has to change hands. And let's suppose uh, uh, he gives you the dope, but you haven't given him the money. Well, that's in court. Well, he says, you know, I was giving it to him for free. Well, Well, of course. It's Christmas. (laughs) So anyway, you have to have a bus signal. Now, I don't know. I don't want to use... Improper language over the. Oh, you uh, can. It's all right. Okay. Well, uh, this the, the bus signal is. Uh, this looks like good shit. That is universal signal for every narcotic cop I have known in the world, from L.A. to New York to Miami. I don't know how in the world that got to be, but when when the that is the signal that you say when over the phone. That means okay, the deal's done. You can move in. Yeah, but don't uh, these dealers know this as well? Huh? Don't the dealers know this term as well? Well, not really, because that's what everybody says. They said, uh, when they're selling it, they say, hey, man, I got some good shit. Okay. <laughs> so when you say it back, that looks like good shit. You know, that's the signal. Like, okay, he's ready. So I set this whole deal up. I try and be meticulous as hell so that I don't get, I don't end up in the hospital. So I had, I had, these, I had four cars. Now, uh, and two cops in each car. Now, one car's north of me, one's south of me, one's east of me, and one's west of me. And I'm right in the middle, and they, there's two cops in each car, and they both, they have monitors so they can hear me on the bug. Plus, they've got, you know, they're not right on top of me. They're like a block, block and a half, maybe two blocks away, but they got binoculars and radios and everything else. So what I used to do is I also had a visual signal, like something they could see. So, because a lot of times the wire doesn't work, right? Okay, uh, hold on just a second, Michael. We just hold that thought. We've got a break for 60 seconds. We'll come back and find out what happened with Michael Barish on True Crimes Uncensored. If you own an iPhone or ride the plastic pony in front of Kroger, you are no longer tied to your computer. 
You are now free to roam and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio iPhone application. The smoke and drink and interrupting. Did I say interrupting? 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your iPhone is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends at Outlaw Radio, like me. Change the way you listen to the radio seven days a week, now available at the iTunes App Store. There are some things in life that just don't go together. But listen to this. You take one drop-dead gorgeous woman. You add an incredibly wealthy, handsome man. You put them together. They have all the money, clothes, jewels, drugs, alcohol they could possibly want. Well, then you throw in a Glock 9mm handgun. It's all good fun until someone gets killed. Fatal Beauty, the shocking true story of beautiful Rhonda Glover, who put 13 bullets from a Glock 9mm into her boyfriend of 15 years, Jimmy Jost. Oh, she said he was abusive. The friend said he was passive. Either way, he was dead. Fatal Beauty, available January 2011 from Pinnacle True Crime by Burl Bear, living legend true crime author. And trust me, he's brilliant. I know it because I am Burl Bear, author of Fatal Beauty. Yes, of course. Burl Bear. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I, Roger Moore, I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear, man of the lawyer chair, Don Wolfman. Michael Barish is with us, and he's setting up a heroin drug bust in Miami's pit. He's got cop cars stationed all around him, all four points of the compass. Nothing but fun. He's all ready to rock and roll and bop and stroll. What happens, Michael? All right. Well, you got its wire on, but you can't depend on a wire because a lot of times they malfunction and... Um, uh, the other uh, the guys listening to you, they can't hear you. Like, uh, and there's all little tricks to things. Like, first of all, these guys sometimes will check you out. They'll 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 patch you down. Yeah, I was wondering if you're walking with a weapon or not. Well, no. A lot of times you can't. But if you're outside, you're doing the deal outside. They're usually not going to frisk you because. It's going to look funny uh, to everybody else, and if there's cops around. Now, if you're inside, you're in an apartment or something like that, which is their apartment, yeah, you got to go in pretty much on your own with no wire and no gun. But when you're outside, that's, that's different. Like, now, I was one time in a restaurant uh, doing a deal, and I was wired up, and we put the wire... Is, you know, it's a, a, like a little machine, and you, and, you, and you tape it, like, usually... What you do is you tape it down by um, yeah, I know. your privates. <laughs> your privates. Because if a guy is going to check you, most guys don't like to uh, pat down another guy in that particular area because they think, oh, geez, you know, I look like a homosexual right. or something. Except in the airports. Yeah. <laughs> you put it there so they won't, they won't feel it. Well, mine one time, it overheated. And was like, oh, God. <laughs> and it was burning a specific area of mine, royally hot, you know. And I'm going, holy man, you know, wow. <laughs> a little nervous, weren't you? <laughs> I off of me quick. So, you know, we're in the air and, and we're thinking, I said, oh, jeez, I got to go to the bathroom bed. Man, I got to go bed. I got to be off. I took and ripped that thing off me as fast as I could. So the thing about it is they don't work all the time. So I use a hand signal. Now, you don't want something like two blocks away, like you, you pull your earlobe. <laughs> Who's going to see that two blocks away? So what I used to do was reach over at the bus signal and also pull up both my socks, not just one, but with both hands pull up both my socks. I mean, that's pretty overt, right? Yeah. So here I am. Now, the one guy is this big, heavy guy, and he's standing on the corner looking for cops. He's supposed to be the lookout. He's one of the bad guys. The other guy is in my truck, and that's where the dope is, uh, and we're going back and forth uh, uh, with the heroin and the money. So I go, hey, that looks like good shit. And I, and I pull up both my socks. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so surprise, surprise. Gee, my socks are dropping down again. <laughs> so then I, I talked to the guy some more. I said, geez, will you be able to in the future get me some more of this? Like, suppose I really uh, uh, 
I like this and I get this. Can, can I can I double up on it? Yeah, 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 sure. I said, well, because I'll tell you what, it really looks like good shit. <laughs> and I, I bend down and pull up both socks, right? <laughs> Nothing. So, uh, so uh, What do you do uh, then? So then I, I tried a third time. I the guy. He says, hey, you know something? I'm getting the hell out of here because uh, uh, this is, you know, in a minute, everybody's going to know this is good shit. <laughs> it was going on and on. The cops are going. I said, all right, all right, all right. Okay, fine. That's good. So I figured, hey, you got to take him down by yourself. So I pull my gun out. Now, the guy in the corner can't see me because he's looking down the truck. So I stick it right in the guy's ribs there and identify myself. Now, with my other hand, I say, I got to get the second guy. So I wave him down like there's something the matter. He's like a quarter of a block away. So he comes tooling down the street next to me. So I grab him by the wrist and I, and I tell him he's on a wrist. Now, here I am. I got a gun in one guy's stomach and the other guy I'm holding with my other hand by the wrist. What do I do now? <laughs> I mean, how do I cuff him? And still nothing. Nobody's coming. So, oh, God. <laughs> So they look at each other like, uh-huh. Yeah, what is this about? <laughs> what are they going to do? So they both run. Now, the, the thing, they're both guilty of a crime, but the guy you want to chase, if you got to, is the guy that actually handed you the narcotics. Yeah, that's so, your bust. Yeah, so I go after him, and I head down the street. We're, we're running through downtown Miami and right in the middle of the street, past cars honking, just, just like out of the movies. Still nothing, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, where the hell are these guys? So, but I got my gun out. Where the hell like, were they? <laughs> you got me. Well, <laughs> they went out for I, some coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes people, believe it or not, get real lax. They get yes. I oh, I went out. I met this girl. You know this and that. Geez, what time did you get in? Four o'clock. Man, the wife was mad as hell, and just you know they get on all kinds of stuff. Uh, so uh, so I turn this corner. Now, in this particular area, it's old Miami, where the buildings, the second floor is held up by, like, concrete posts, you know, from, like, the turn of the century, those quaint, you know, like, uh, Art Deco-type buildings. Yeah. But I got this gun in my hand, and you, it's, I can't shoot the guy in the back running like this, you know, so I got to put the gun away so I can get, get some speed up here. So you try tucking a gun in your waistband, you know, while you're running along at full speed, you know, it's kind of, you got to pay attention to what you're doing. <laughs> you can shoot off the uh, singed area there. So you don't blow off the family jewels, you know. So uh, I, I I look down only for a second, and then all of a sudden, boing, you know, I, I felt concrete hitting numbskull. Because boom, I ran right head on into that pole. A big oh, Jesus. It's like down, a railroad cartoon. I mean, the lights went out down. I go, I'm, I get up, and I look down, and I see all this red stuff. It's my head. It's bleeding all over. My gun's in the gutter. I pick up my gun, tuck it in, and down the street I go. I, t I took 12 stitches later in the head from this, so... You can't give up, so I'm down the street chasing this guy. Now they all wake up. Now they all wake up. So <laughs> this bleeding guy, guy running down the street caught their attention, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going, I'm going south on North Miami Avenue, and it's one way south. So the guy south of me is the guy that caught on because I'm going right towards his car. So, <laughs> so he picks it up, and he comes, and he's on the sidewalk trying to get this guy. He's chasing the guy down on the sidewalk, and he bumps him with his car, and the guy bounces up over the hood down the other side, so the cop figures, hey, you know, he's down. So he gets out of his car, the bad guy gets up and starts running again. <laughs> did you, did you do your training at the Keystone Cops? What is this? <laughs> well, this is why I'm telling you how it's so different in real life than what you see on TV. So the cop gets back on his car, and his car goes down. This time he hits him a little harder. You know, bam! <laughs> over over the top. He goes, "You don't get up this time, right?" So uh, that's how we that's how we ended up catching the second guy. Just walked away. You know, the big fat guy. Nobody ever did catch him. So here I end up in the hospital, twelve stitches. Going, what? You know, where are you guys? What? Well, we're well, we, you know, nobody's got anything to say. You know, so. Uh, Cops don't like to do paperwork because they all hate doing paperwork. So now this guy, he's been in an accident because, he, you know, he ran the car into the, this guy. 
so they got to do accident paperwork. So he doesn't want to get charged with an accident because that goes against him. He can lose time and all that. So on, <laughs> terrific. So on the paperwork, he says to, he writes in the paperwork, the bad guy ran into my car. <laughs> oh, I'm so sure. It's like running and having a tree run into you, right? <laughs> so the irony of it all is, and this is true, about five years later, I met Don Johnson at that same hotel, and they were filming a series, an episode for the Miami Vice about a drug deal going bad at that hotel. Huh. Talk about art imitating life. Did, did uh, he run into a post and knock himself out? Yeah, but the actors don't shoot at you. <laughs> no, they, they're, they're, their things go perfect. You know? Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. one of these stranger stories, because every story in the yeah, book is strange. how much stranger strange. are we going to get? Uh, the, the cop was called in because this guy made me write him a check. A check? Oh. <laughs> We don't yeah. take checks. <laughs> Everybody comes to me. Yes. Uh, it's a takeoff on... Uh, 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 Casablanca. Cas yeah, where everybody comes to Rick's. Well, the bar was really called Vicks. It really was. And, uh, uh, and at that time, Miami had such a wild reputation. It was called the Casablanca of the West. So, uh, this is a story. But it was a true story. I got a, I got a, I got a call reference... Um, a 13, which is information. So you really don't know what's going on in there. But uh, it's, it was one of those dives. Uh, a dive it, bar. It, we love dive bars. Well, this, this, hit the, this hit the thing. So I go there, and she describes this guy. He's, uh, you know, a white guy, and he's in the, he, you know, he's got this, like, coconut uh, tourist shirt on. You know, you can spot him a mile, and then he's pale as hell, you know. So uh, uh, I go in there, and I say, hey, you call the cops, you know, and the music's so loud, I can't hear him at all, you know. So he says, yeah, 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 I call the cops. So we go out on the street to talk. I says, well, tell me what happened. And he says, well, uh, uh, this black guy, he, he made me write him a check for $10. Uh, like I say, this was <laughs> Well, I'd call the police, too. <laughs> you know, so this was in the 70s. $10 was worth a lot more then than it is now. But anyway. Even if it's $100, it makes no sense. <laughs> What do you mean he made you? Did he did he did he hold a gun to your head? Did he threaten you with your life? No, no, he didn't do that. But I just felt if I didn't if I didn't write it, something bad was going to happen to me. So you guys said write me a check. I just yeah, probably the buyer hanging out. Something bad probably would happen to you. So you write this guy a check. He says yeah. Uh, I says well, what does the guy look like? You know, I got to have more than that. He's a black guy. I mean, we're in the ghetto. I mean, you know, that could be anybody here. He says, well, you, you stood right next to him. I said, what do you mean I stood right next to him? Yeah, when he came in and he said to me, he was sitting right next to me at the bar. And I said, well, why didn't you say something? And he says, oh, he's still there. I said, what? You know? I, I, I said, So I go inside and... and um, I say to the black guy, tap him on the shoulder, you know, I says, hey, hey, listen, this is going to sound crazy. Uh, but you see that white guy outside? He says that you made him sign a check for $10. And the black guy says, what is he, nuts, he's crazy, you know, this and that and all that. I said, yeah, yeah, I know it sounds uh, crazy too, but you wouldn't mind since you say this didn't happen if I took a, uh, a look in your wallet, would you? Wow, well, no, of course not. So the wallet, I look through it, there's a check for $10. <laughs> <laughs> clown out on the street that he wrote, you know? This is nuts. So says, Wait a minute. What, what's going on here? This guy claims you forced him to write a check for 10 bucks. I come in here, you say you didn't. Here's the check in here, and you're both sitting next to each other drinking. I said, since, since you claim you didn't write this check, you won't mind if I tear it up then, will you? Oh, no, not at all, not at all. He's happy, he just wants to get rid of me. What I figured happened was, the guy was a pimp, and the white guy wanted a hooker, and he didn't have any money, so he wrote him a check. For, for $10? Hooker. That's a hell of a hooker. <laughs> yeah, no, but don't forget, it was 1972. And it was a sale. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and the black guy didn't deliver. So, uh, that's what it was about. So I go outside and I tell the guy, okay, here's your money. Uh, you know, hey, if I was you, I wouldn't go back in there because this guy is not going to be happy with you. 
So I would find another place to go drink for the night. The guy says, oh, thank you, thank you. He couldn't thank me enough, but he's drunk, you know? So uh, I go across the street. There's one of these open-air uh, restaurants that sells hot dogs and coke, you know, and I'm, and I'm sitting there on this curb drinking, and a bunch of other cops come by, swing by, just to see what's going on, this and that. Well, this guy comes up to me again, and there's nothing worse when you're sober, having some drunk throw his arm around you and breathe all that hot liquor in your ear and face, right? Yeah. That's just like being here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I tell him, hey, that's okay. You think He does it like two, three times. So finally, I'm getting mad. So I decide to run a check on him. So I run a check through NCIC. The guy comes back, wanted. He escaped from the Maryland... Uh, state penitentiary doing <laughs> for robbery. This guy must have the IQ of Elmer Fudd. That's that's what I mean. You know that old lot of some people want to get caught. First of all, if I lost ten bucks, I'd never call the cops. And then, and, and 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 second of all, if I did call the cops, once they got the check back, I wouldn't keep bugging the cop when he you know to the point where he runs you. And then second of all, I don't know which guy was stupider. The guy, the black guy that put the check there and said it wasn't there, and then they opened the swallow and there. I don't know which of the two was dumber, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. That's like the, the, the people I saw on TV that they bought some dope, and it was bunk. So they called the cops. This guy sold me bunk. How stupid can you be? Well, you know, I, I, I used to, I, I worked in pornography, and I, I, and, and I busted these adult bookstores and stuff like that. Well, I busted this guy one time in the adult bookstore for selling these obscene books and stuff. By the time he had come to court, the guy had a sex change, and he was a female in court, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you identify him? I said, yeah, the guy wearing the dress there. <laughs> we're going to take a 60-second break, and we'll come back for more with Michael Barish, author of Reflections from the Pit. Uh, won an award back in 2007. Well-deserved as well. We'll be right back. If you own an iPhone or ride the plastic pony in front of Kroger, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now free to roam and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio iPhone application, the smoke and drink and interrupted, did I say interrupting? 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your iPhone is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends at Outlaw Radio, like me. Change the way you listen to the radio seven days a week, now available at the iTunes App Store. Barbara Opal promised her 14-year-old daughter a brand-new dirt bike if she'd murder her employer. You know that. It's my book, Mom Said Kill. The kid didn't get the dirt bike. Well, guess what? The book is now available as a digital download from Barnes & Noble. Mom Said Kill by Burl Bear, the new digital edition. And you know what? Even in the digital edition, the kid still doesn't get the dirt bike. Mom said kill by me, Burl Bear, and I love me to pieces. And now, back to True Crimes with Burl Bear and Don Waldman. Ah, uh, yes. If you go to outlawcrime.com every week, it tells you uh, who we got on the show and uh, little tidbits of life in the fast lane and links and stuff. And you can get the, you know, the iPhone app. And a droid app for Outlaw Radio. It's free, and that way you just press the button there on your on your iPhone, Michael Barish, and you can listen to Outlaw Radio anytime you want. Yeah, you you put out some great tidbits. I like the one about when if you pick up a woman on South Beach, always look for an Adam's apple. Yeah, that's in uh, on my website. Right, I yeah. noticed that. <laughs> that's that's good advice. Yeah www.realmiamivice.com I have I have three free stories from the book there but I also have this thing called Barish's Believe It or Not and it's just a fun little tab to click on which always has things about Miami and or, or this or that or unusual stuff and one of them was that if, you, if you're going for a date on uh, uh, South Beach check his hands and I, I'm speaking of that uh, <laughs> You know, one thing triggers another, triggers another, triggers another. I was working, uh, I was working undercover, and I was working prostitution at the time. And there, there, the big, the big drag in Miami uh, was well, Biscayne Boulevard. 
that runs north and south from the heart of town on the way out. It's US one down there. And that when you get up around the sixties, seventies, that's has all these kind of sleazy hotels and uh, uh, and prostitutes. You know, you can back then you could find four, five, six on a corner. You know, it was really bad. And uh, but there was like two blocks off the uh, Boulevard were nice neighborhoods where people lived in nice homes and all that. And they they would complain all the time to the chief about God, you know, the wreck of my neighborhood. Can't you get people up here to do this job? And you know, where's the vice squad? Where are they? You know, you can't be everywhere. So one day. I'm driving back towards the station. It's about 5 o'clock at night, which is rush hour uh, in Miami. And uh, on the corner uh, 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 is this black transsexual in a bikini. <laughs> How did you identify him? <laughs> he's a cop. He's a hawker. And, and he's he just coming from the beach. He's all, uh, like, uh, uh, shiny with his suntan lotion and baby oil all over him, you know, and he's in high heels with this multicolored bikini on, nice wig and all that, and, and he's standing out of the corner hitchhiking. So I says, oh, my God, look at this. <laughs> I says, man, there's going to be calls down to the to the, uh, to the the chief's office. Yeah, I got, I got to do something here, you know. So I pull over. The guy says, uh, can you give me a ride? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, like, I'll give you a ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now when you're making a bust for uh, prostitution, uh it has to be an offer to commit a sex act for a certain amount of money. Now, uh, you can offer, because that's... Entrapment. But you have to get out of them. It's, it's like playing uh, this game here where, you know, you got to get them to say how much they want and what they're going to do. And, and they don't want to say it, and they want you to do it. It's like playing Mexican Jeopardy, you know? It's like, <laughs> uh, you know, hear this and that. Well, how much for my money am I going to get? And this and that, boom, 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 boom. So, uh, okay, we're going down the street. Now, what I usually do is I pull off to, on a side street that's not traffic, and I try and pull up next to a wall or next to another car. Uh, that way, they can't open the door and run, because we, we had in, incidents in the past where uh, uh, the cop would ID himself, and these people would jump out of a moving car. One got killed, jumped out of the car, and had to hit the curb. Oh. And, and, killed so you, you know these are desperate people sometimes most of the time they're on narcotics and they can't afford to spend two or three days in jail because they need a fix real bad so uh they'll do anything to get away from you and i've had hookers uh where once i arrest them they uh they had wigs on and they reach under the wig and try to slice my throat with a razor blade mm, nice so just and who can blame them <laughs> Just because they're a hooker, you can't let up. So uh, the thing what I used to do is I used to sit on my handcuffs. So that way, when I and I'd stop the car. Now that didn't uh, that didn't look suspicious because they thought I was pulling over for for a nice spot, you know, to get mm -hmm. together. So that didn't look suspicious to them. And I would uh, also. Uh, uh, have have the deal all set, and when I pulled up next to them, they couldn't open the door and get away because they banged the wall with the door or the car next to them. So <laughs> I pull up on the side straight next to this other car. I reach under to get my handcuffs, but they think you're going for the wallet to pay them money because they want the money up front. Right. Now this guy was quick. I by the time I reach, what I usually do is cuff one hand and then cuff them to the steering wheel. Uh, uh, the rear view mirror. Rear mirror. Somewhere they, you can't go anywhere. Well, as I reach over, this guy is fast. And what I didn't take into account, I'm in that truck, the same one that I used to, did for the deal. Well, the truck's hired in the car. So he can climb out the window onto the roof of the parked car. You uh -huh. know? So he start, he's kicking me and just because he don't want to be cuffed. So I can't get his... He's half out of the he's half out of the truck trying to get onto the roof of the car next to me. So I got his and I'm slipping all over because he's all greased up with his face. 
<laughs> you're, you're having too much fun. <laughs> so, I, I'm trying to cuff his ankle, you know, and boy, you know, try putting a handcuff around a man's ankle. See how far you get, you know. I'm Especially when he's all greased up with baby oil. No, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> yeah, so he takes off his other high heel and he's beating me over the head with his high heel, you know, over the head and, and stuff like that. Well, he kicks the truck out of gear. Oof. So, Backwards, we're going backwards. I got his ankle, and he's going along the hood, or I mean the roof of the other car. Then clunk, he's on the trunk, you know, the, uh, the car. Then boom, he's on the hood of the next car. Jeez. <laughs> so finally, we hit the third car, crash into that, and he gets out. Uh, you know, I put the thing and jump out. I got my radio under my seat. I pick out my radio. I said, "Hey, hey." Uh, with my unit number, whatever it was, 321 or something. I said, hey, 321, I got this black, uh, black transsexual in a bikini running for me. <laughs> this this tall black blonde guy. <laughs> <laughs> in a bikini. So, but don't yeah. try to grab him, he's greasy. <laughs> they catch him? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't miss that guy, you know. <laughs> so you guys must come back and just share these stories and roar. Oh, yeah, well, some of them are... Just, just, just unbelievable. Like, um, uh, like one guy. I'm working in the porno. No, this didn't happen while I was there, but I, I found out about it later. Because you know, this, uh, this guy is in the porno theater watching the uh, 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 porno, and you know he's kind of amusing himself. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> so he has a heart attack. So go out the aisle. And they find him in the aisle with his pants down around his ankles, right? He's had a heart attack. So they call the rescue squad, and the rescue squad comes in, and they got to turn on the lights. All the, all the patrons are booed and everything like that because they're wrecking the movie for him. <laughs> right. He's got his pants down, he's dying of a heart attack, and they're all upset because they cut the movie off. <laughs> It figures. We got time. I want, want you to tell the story because I think we have time here, where the the cop accidentally spooks, discharges his shotgun, and blows the head off of someone in the passenger seat of a vehicle. Accidentally? Oh. Yeah. Well, okay. What what that was about was uh, now I I changed the circumstances on that uh, in the sense that uh, uh, I'm, uh, a lot of times when you're writing a story now most of the stories are, are, are from beginning to end are true a lot of the stories that but a lot of times for artistic sake right. you'll combine two or three composite characters or, or things like that right. and what what really happened in that particular story it wasn't a drug deal what really happened is it was during one of the riots that we had down there. I was in 10 different riots in uh, in Miami, and the one in 1980, 18 people died, and they burnt down like three quarters of Liberty City or something, cost, but millions and millions of dollars. Well, one of these guys was uh, a policeman, was walking by this car, a truck, actually, and there was two guys sitting in it, and they were just minding their own business, really, uh, uh, but, you know, what? because they, they lived there, you know? But he didn't see him. And he, and he had the shotgun, and uh, uh, they spooked him because he heard, like, a, a noise or something. He turned around, but he had his finger on the shotgun and discharged, and he did blow the guy's head off right to the oh. top of the, uh, of the, of the uh, uh, cab oh, yeah. of the car. Uh, but, I mean, weird things happen like this. Like, another time, uh, there was this guy coming down the street. The cop was uh, on foot. He was foot patrol down around Coconut Grove, which is a nice area. And this guy's coming down the street, and he's tossing, like, this ball back and forth uh, in his hand, you know, uh, from one hand to the other. And the cop thinks it's a volleyball or something like that, whatever. So he, he tosses it to the cop. And it's a nice neighborhood and everything. So the cop grabs it. It turns out to be this guy's girlfriend's head that he just cut oh off. Oh, my God. That's a nice sport. That he just cut off with his machete. <laughs> so did he let the cop keep her? Did he want it back? Oh, that cop freaked out. He was in therapy for a long time. <laughs> I would think. I, I would imagine so. What I thought was interesting about the, the combination of stories that you put together in the, in the book where the guy accidentally blows the, the guy's head off is they find a whole bunch of marijuana in the truck. And uh, what the cops do is they... Uh, I don't know how many there were. There were 10 or 12 or 13. Yeah. They divvied it up amongst themselves, except for just a little bit to turn in and say, that, gee, we uh, we found this. Well, they celebrated. Yeah. Well, 
see, that that was based upon a, a true incident that just happened down there. It was called the River Cop Scandal in the 1980s. There was a whole sector of cops in uh, Little Havana that were ripping off drug dealers. Every one of them became a, a millionaire in about seven months, eight months. And what they were doing, they were stealing dope and everything from all these other uh, uh, drug dealers and selling it to other drug dealers. We had the same thing here. <laughs> it's called Rampart. And, yeah, it's called the Rampart scandal here. Just during the River Cop scandal alone in Miami, there were over 100 officers that were either arrested, fired, suspended, or reprimanded for crimes invo involving ripping off drug dealers. And the cops are supposed to be the good guys. Yeah, hey, but, you know, corruption <laughs> go way back. It goes way back. And Miami has a history of, 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 of that uh, uh, corruption in Miami because uh, 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 back, way back in its history there, that one of the earlier chiefs of police was indicted for first-degree murder. Uh, <laughs> That'll got, ruin your reputation. He got off, and they re-elected him chief of police. Oh, he had the qualifications, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and then there was another chief of police that I, I personally knew him. He was uh, an officer at the same time I was an officer coming up through the ranks and eventually made chief of police. And what he was doing was he started this charity for children and, and, and stuff like that. Everybody said, oh, what a nice guy and everything like that. Well, he was he had a credit card and was charging everything. Uh, he was married, but he was had this mistress, and they'd go to Atlanta and this and that. He was charging all these uh, uh, dinners and things out of the out of the, uh, a charity he set up for the kids, <laughs> oh, and he got busted and went to federal prison. But he was he was doing it for the kids. <laughs> yeah, what a world. I mean, you, you know, I, uh, it's, you know, this is what I try and bring out in the book. Well, you certainly do. I have a question. When you, when you see these things going on, because you obviously had to interact with some of these corrupt guys. Right. And you know what's going on. Right. What, what, right. Do, you, what do you do? I mean, you can't, if, if you blow the whistle on them, they're going to nuke you. Well, the thing is, too, uh, they've got all their st stories covered. You've got to, you got to be careful. Like... I'll tell you an example. When I was working narcotics, the your paperwork goes up through the chain of command. So if you're a detective working on something and the paperwork goes up to the, a, a chain of command and there's a corrupt lieutenant or captain, uh, in this particular case it was someone higher, uh, I'm not going to get into names or stuff, that was corrupt and, tip, and they'd sell information and stuff about who you're going to bust and stuff. We had to hide the information in our reports so that the chain of command and your superiors couldn't find out to tip off the bad guy. So oh. you don't know. <laughs> Man, that's a rough gig. Michael Barish, author of the book Reflections from the Pit. Go to www.therealmiamivice.com and uh, check it out. Great guest. Thanks for being with us, Michael. Hey, protect and serve. Yeah. <laughs> Love the stories. Thanks, Michael. I've had a great time, and thanks for having me on your show. Oh, thanks so much for listening to True Crime Uncensored. I'm Burl Barry. He's Don Wolben. Coming up next, next. the thrill and delight of men, women, and children everywhere. <laughs> is Frank Mills, a music box dancer. Let's kill all the beautiful people. String them up by their beautiful hair. Let's kill all the beautiful people. Have the world to ourselves.